Hey everybody, it's Jason with Whatsoever is True. Uh, yeah, we're back and we're jumping right into things because that's what we do here. You know, without further ado, I don't want to waste your time. I know you're busy, right? I mean, you're 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 probably multitasking right now as you're listening to this. You're you're doing something around the house. You're you're you know, you're exercising. You're cleaning. You're doing something, and and the whole goal of this is to to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ and to, and to show something that I think is just so needed in this world, which is to to explain Scripture and how Scripture is eminently practical, that there's a glorious truth in doctrine, right? People are trying to know Jesus Christ and, and, and have a relationship. You hear this, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you have a relationship with people you don't know? How do you, how do, you do that? How do you, how do you have a relationship with someone that you're, you're, you're clueless about them? Well, how do we know Jesus Christ if not through the Word of the Lord? The Bible, the whole counsel of God is the Bible. So today, we're going to talk about something. And you can check the blog post out, whatsoeverstrue.com has it. It's answering a fool. It's Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. I think this one is a classic. Let's look at it. It reads, do, do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you will also be like him. Answer a fool as his folly deserves, that he may not be wise that he, he be not wise in his own eyes. All right, that's Proverbs 26, 4 and 5. On the surface of this, it's going to look like to the average bear that it's a contradiction, but it's not. The idea, and this gets at the heart of everything we're doing as Christians, is to submit to the Lord Jesus Christ, to regard him as preeminent in all of our thoughts. Go back to Proverbs 3, I think, and you look at you look at that and lean not on your own understanding, right? Keep the Lord preeminent in all of your thinking. He is either the Lord and foundation of all truth, or he's not. Right? Okay, there's no middle ground, and we should know this above all else. We aren't to answer a fool, therefore, here's the point, according to his folly, and this means that we aren't to accept the premises of the fool, which are unbiblical. An actual man is at enmity with God. That's Romans 8, 7. And he hates him. Okay, people will play at this thing in life, right? They'll profess to be open-minded and reasonable, but this is all a facade, trust me. The natural man is hostile to God's authority and wants it. That is the power to determine right and wrong for himself. He wants that power for himself. This is the default setting of the sinful mind and is the root of sin. It's the essence of pride. This is what the Bible calls folly, okay? I mean, so when you hear the Bible talk about fools and folly, it's not name-calling, right? It's not Biden and Trump bickering back and forth with each other. God is, is, is giving us a clinical definition of our situation. The default setting of the sinful mind is the, and it's the root of sin. And it's the determination that thinking about life can be done rightly and naturally without reference to God and his revelation, this is the danger. If we neglect this truth and consider the world as the, as the fool does, without God as the final reference point, then we're going to be like him. So what the scripture means is that we are to accept this premise. Okay, we're not to accept this, which is, and I've, I've talked about this before, the myth of neutrality. Man isn't neutral. He's a pretender to the throne of God. The, remember this about the myth of neutrality. Greg Bonson said this a lot, is that, they aren't, and you shouldn't be. To walk, 
to not walk, rather, in the counsel of the ungodly means to challenge in one's mind the premise behind every utterance in the world. There isn't a single fact in the universe over which the Lord Jesus Christ isn't sovereign. Okay, like Abraham, Abraham Kuyper said, you know, mine. The Lord Jesus Christ looks at everything. He says, it's mine. There's no renegade facts in the world or the universe, anywhere. And no Christian should be confused on this point. I think this is the, probably the biggest danger is, you know, for a saved person who blunders off into the world unaware of their intellectual conformity to the principle of neutrality. It's a myth. Indeed, to attempt to be neutral toward the ideas of spiritual, or toward ideas and logic and philosophy and politics or anything like that is spiritual adultery as it ascribes equal ultimacy to the world and the Lord. All right? That's why this is so dangerous. Let's read 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 5 together. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations in every lofty thing, raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And we are ready to punish all disobedience whenever your obedience is complete. That's an amazing amazing passage of scripture that I, I don't think that, that the vast majority of Christendom, specifically in America, with all of its rank sentimentalism and, and openly open hostility to doctrine. You know, like, well, I'm not about doctrine. I'm about love, love, love. Well, that's your doctrine. And it's a vacuous one, by the way, because the Bible defines God as love. So you can't play one attribute of God over against the rest of God. So we don't avoid being foolish with our speech by following some external code, guys, or by avoiding certain topics that might be controversial. No, you're going to be controversial if you're a Christian. We escape folly by replacing the speculations and myth of neutrality with a mind that's set on a spirit. In so doing, we become free of the folly of using our own mind or the mind of another fallen human being, if we're using them as our final reference point, you know, as, a, as that final arbiter of truth. In doing this, we become a servant of all to set them free from the bondage to the lie at the heart of unbelief. What is that exactly? It's the insistence on judging the world by our own senseless standards. Did God really say? That's the battle cry of unbelief. To not answer a fool in his folly is to challenge his arbitrary truth claims, which are based on human reasonings alone rather than God's word. And so 2 Corinthians 5.12 says, so that you will have an answer for those who take pride in appearance and not in heart. So this isn't, however, a permission to be argumentative or abusive. All right? So let's get that clear, too, because naturally our mind's going to swing to the other extreme. On the contrary, the Christian speaks truth with the love, with, with the love that's aimed at showing others the glory of Christ. Our speech is to be seasoned with salt, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, right? It says, For the love of Christ controls us. And he died so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What a glorious thing. That's the goal of our speech. It's the glory of God, not ourselves. 
So therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh being ambassadors of Christ, and uh, being ambassadors for Christ. That's 2 Corinthians 5.20. As though God were literally making an appeal through us, we beg sinners on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Oh, the humility of that word, to beg. The Christian, you and me, is given the royal and, and, and the unspeakable privilege of being rooted and grounded in the love of Christ as ambassadors for him. We make his appeal to sinners. When we remember this divine privilege, and it's a privilege, this heavenly seal upon us, and the love that constrains us and guides us, directs us, we will avoid useless controversy. Only then can we, in the Lord, as Romans 12, 14 says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. When we remember always the glories of Christ and the high privilege we've attained through his grace, not that any of us should boast, we cease to be offense givers because no one can offend us. What can a man say to me that I have not said or thought in my heart towards the Lord? 2 Corinthians 6, 3-7 reads, Give, giving no cause for offense in anything, so that the ministry will not be discredited. And that's the goal, right? Not, not for me. It's the goal is the church and the ministry of Christ. But in everything, commending ourselves as servants of God, in much endurance, in afflictions, in hardships, in distresses, in beatings, in imprisonments, in tumults, in labors, in sleeplessness, in hunger, in purity, in knowledge, in patience, in kindness, in the Holy Spirit, in genuine love, in the love, in the love of the word of truth, in the power of God, by the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and the left. Okay, so that's a, that's what, quite an overwhelming thought, right? A lot of people say, well, I don't have to put up with that. Well, you know, good thing the Lord didn't say that about us, Right? Think about that if the Lord said it about you. It's not worth it. So now let's get back to the fool. All right, let's 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 cover this and and uh, and then wrap this up. We know that in Genesis three, the serpent questions God's word. In doing so, he insinuates to Eve that God isn't truly good, since he prohibits part of the garden's fruit. He's basically saying he's basically asking, is God good? Is he kind? He says, take and eat. Establish your intellectual moral independence and judge good and evil on your terms. In this way, the tempter reasons that you'll be like God. And then in verse 6, we see that the tree was indeed good for food and a delight to behold. And it was, a, it was desirable to make one wise. So Eve was seduced into thinking the serpent was right. Adam ate an open rebellion. But then God comes and asks, where are you? I mean, he knows our geographical location, of course, right? He's not suddenly, he's, he hasn't lost his omniscience. He, he's asking so that they might consider the shame, the guilt, the remorse, the fear, and confusion that they've experienced. Isn't that marvelous? Everything that's wrong with us is explained right here. So anyway, the God on the left side of the Bible isn't a big meanie, is he? Okay, He comes to them like this with compassion and clothes them and promises Jesus Christ. Right then in Genesis. Okay, so 
we see now that the fool in Proverbs is a sinner. And the sinner is a sinner because he's basing all of his predication on the lie of human autonomy, of, of ultimate human neutrality and freedom. The fool speaks of good and evil without reference to the word of God. And, and I mean, therefore, we find ourselves in a clash of competing authorities. We need to see that man's insistence upon the myth of neutrality is the central lie that's trapped us in death, judgment, and sin. Your problem, every problem, is rooted in that. This is why we must never answer a fool according to his folly. We must make him put his flag down and identify his authority. He generally won't, because he can't, because he dares not do it. At the bottom of it all is human autonomy, and he doesn't want to say, I'm God. I'm the final authority of good and evil. <laughs> right? This is why man claims to be wise, but's a fool. And this is why the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. This is how Christ makes us a new man, or woman, right? He reverses the exchange of the truth for a lie, and the Christian now sees reality and issues of good and evil from God's authoritative perspective rather than his own. This is the renewed mind of the born-again believer. The tactic is to listen to the fool and then rephrase what he said and answer him as his folly deserves. Make him stand on his flawed premise. Smoke out his false neutrality by gently but confidently challenging his claims of moral knowledge. For Okay, so for instance, watch how so-called agnostics or atheists make staggering moral claims. They say, uh, everyone knows such and such is wrong, right? Or candidate X is full of greed or corruption. Well, since this is God's world and his law is written on everybody's heart, the sin-damaged conscience is always accusing others of moral, immorality or error while exempting itself. That's Romans 2, 14 and 15. You want to memorize that one. The trick to calling this out is first to recognize it. It's an astonishing fact of life itself. The vast majority of men and women proclaim that there's no such thing as an absolute moral truth authority while constantly claiming it for themselves. Okay, so then ask them the simple question, by what standard do you judge? That's it. By what standard? What standard? This is answering the fool according to his folly because it's the godly way of confronting his great and resounding moral pride. This simple tactic is an epic shockwave to the sinner's philosophical moralizing. In this way, you can bring him to the knowledge of Christ because it will confirm that he's aware of the reality of moral truth and he's claiming that for himself he knows moral truth without reference to any outside source in all never forget that all christian interactions with non-believers are a clash of ultimate authorities understanding this keeps us from fruitless arguments over minor issues and brings us to the centrality of the gospel right so if somebody wants to debate with you about the, the presidential election and, you know, they're going to say something about morality. They're going to say, this is right, this is wrong. Well, how do you know that? By what standard? Get in the habit of doing this. By what standard? By what standard? By what standard? I mean, you're going to be like a broken record. You're going to be careful the way you do it. We don't want to be badgering people. But you're going to notice as you start doing this how, how unavoidable it is. Everyone's constantly making moral evaluations and they're making moral proclamations while they also maintain that they're morally neutral. And there is no ultimate morality. 
This is what we mean by don't answer a fool according to his folly. Don't pick up that line of thinking. That's foolishness. That's awful sin. So remember, it, this keeps us from accepting the premises of the fool, which is, again, the folly of neutrality, while also answering him with the truth of God. So, in all, I just want to remind you of this fact. You're in a war, guys. You're not in a... You're in a battleship. You're not in a cruise ship, as Gabe Fleur once said. You're, you're, you're not saved to, a, to a, a life that's going to be all smooth, smooth sailing. And if you're not interested in you know, contending for the truth and, and, uh, and combating error and sin when you see it in your own life, in your home, and so forth, then you, I think you're making a grave mistake because you, that means you don't really understand the depth of sin and the reality of it and the nature of it. The nature of sin starts in the mind. It starts in the, in the premise that, well, I can be neutral. I can think about right and wrong and reality without reference to God. That's, that's intellectual pride. That will lead you into other conclusions that are going to be, you know, obviously irrational and, and destructive because, because they're sin, they're destructive. Because they're against God's will, they're divisive. People will flip this and they'll say, well, it's divisive to be a, a, a biblical Christian. Don't throw the Bible in my face. People say that. Don't throw the Bible in my face. What moral code are you appealing to to say that? You're now claiming that it's wrong to do something and right to do something else. What should I do? By what standard? You see where this goes? What you're constantly doing, and I just talked to a young, uh, a young person the other day, and, and they're, they're, in, they're, they're in grade school, and this, and this child said something about, well, my teacher told me that no one can tell you right and wrong. And, and I replied, she just did. <laughs> and he's, he's a smart kid, very precocious young, young man, and it literally blew his mind. You could see the wheels turning in his brain. Um, don't be deceived. The devil is always out there to hide the truth. That's why we, we name this whatsoever is true. I, you know, I might have just recall, re, referred to this as the battling Christian, the fighting Christian. Everybody out there is, we want, all the, we want the blessings of God, but we want them on our terms. We, we want a life of ease and comfort, but we don't want God to bother us. We want to take our salvation and kind of retreat to, to a, 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 you know, a beachside condo someplace and, and not be bothered. Um, you know, that's the myth of the, of the wise man on the mountain. The wise man on the mountain is, 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 is a secular philosophy myth. Christianity puts you in a boat fishing with the disciples waiting for Jesus. You're in there with other Christians. Get to work and you know, go do your thing. If you're a homeschool mom, hey, you're, you're a warrior and you are a hero of this secular culture that tells you that you should be serving yourself and, and, and you're in a battle. Don't you think for a second that the world's not coming after you, constantly going to try to demean you and tell you what you're doing is not important. You should be doing other things. Uh, you're, 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 working, you're working a regular job. You're, I don't know where you're working. You're working maybe you're blue collar, white collar. It doesn't matter. You Do all things unto the Lord. Don't, don't let anybody tell you otherwise. You're doing everything to the Lord. That changes everything. Good theology changes everything. It puts everything in perspective. Right? The devil comes at you and he says, Did God really say... Or he says, God's word doesn't have authority over here. Nonsense. If God doesn't have authority everywhere, he's not God. That, that, that will change everything in your perspective. So, as always, 
Hopefully this helped. Hopefully it was edifying. Hopefully it fires you up about good doctrine. Hopefully it fires you up and tells you this is, this is applicable and the word of the Lord is perfect. Reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise is simple. The precepts of the Lord are right. You know, rejoice in the heart. And, and they're such to be desired more than gold and, and anything else you can get in this whole world. All of the Bitcoin, all of the Apple stock, everything, anything in the world that you could possibly fathom. Knowing the word of the Lord is precious. Don't forget that. And, and that will, so therefore you won't be leaning on your own understanding, right? But on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So I'll wrap it up. Hope, hopefully this was edifying and, and it, it supercharges your faith and, and, and kind of kicks you in the pants and, uh, and gets you going. Don't forget to check out the blog on this. It's on, it's on westrovistreet.com and there's a lot of other stuff on there. Hopefully you also find it edifying and I'll catch you guys next time and thanks for listening.